Welcome to The Clappers. I'm Carl Quinn. This week marks the 40th anniversary of a remarkable moment in Australian film, the moment when Jack Thompson won the Best Supporting Actor Award for Breaker Morant at the Cannes Film Festival. Shoot straight, you bastards! Don't make a mess of it! It was the first major international award for an Australian feature film, and for an industry still in its infancy, it was acknowledgement on a global scale, confirmation that the so-called Australian New Wave could mix it with the best that world cinema had to offer. And for Thompson, whose then decade-long career had been moving in virtual lockstep with the fledgling Australian film and television scene, it was a turning point and a launching pad. For this special episode of The Clappers, the 79-year-old screen legend chatted with me from his splendid isolation at home near Coffs Harbour about why he didn't immediately take up Hollywood's offers, about why a fellow actor's mother was furious at him over his success at Cannes, and why making it Australian matters just as much today as it did back then, and why that won't happen if it's all left to the market. For those of you who don't know it, Breaker Morant tells the true story of three Australian soldiers, played by Brian Brown, Lewis Fitzgerald and English actor Edward Woodward, on trial for murder in South Africa in 1901 for the execution of a number of Boer prisoners and a civilian priest. Thompson plays the bush lawyer drafted in to defend them. Directed by Bruce Beresford and based on a play by Kenneth Ross, Breaker is very much part of that wave of period drama that did so much to shape the new Australian cinema, and it sits proudly alongside the likes of Picnic at Hanging Rock, Gallipoli, The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, and My Brilliant Career. But with its steely-eyed focus on the question of what place, if any, peacetime morality should have in the field of war, it remains absolutely contemporary in its concerns. I began my conversation with Jack by asking him to recall that moment in May 1980, when he stepped up on stage in the south of France to receive the award. Of course, there was no internet then, so that wouldn't wouldn't have been quite as easy as it is these days. Oh no, no, it certainly <laughs> wasn't. Uh, it was uh, it was quite a process, but in the end, I ended up with uh, a very good manager and a good agent, and uh, it it changed not just for me and Ryan uh, and Bruce. It changed. It changed it for everyone because the Australian film industry was now um, earning all sorts of praise Yeah, uh, and there was a Time magazine cover at the time uh, and it was the Australian 
film industry as the largest, uh, the uh, most rapidly growing English-speaking film industry in the world. Right. And uh, all of that came out of, of uh, Breaker. And yeah, right. The award yeah. at Cannes, yeah. So it was quite uh, quite a turning point for the industry, really. Mm. Did things change for you instantly, or was it like... I mean, obviously things moved more slowly in those days. It didn't change for me the moment I stepped out of the theatre and back into a can, although it did change pretty much immediately. There were people interview wanting interviews, uh, a lot of congratulations going on, but there were people wanting interviews and where are you going now? Uh, I, I presume you didn't have to buy a drink while you were in Cannes? <laughs> not after that, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, sure, yeah. and I'm sure you enjoyed one or two of them. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I did indeed. Yeah, and it, was, it was good not to have to buy them because of the cost of a drink on the terrace of the Carlton Hotel <laughs> on the on the Crozet just just like you could buy a bottle for what you'd pay for a drink there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've I've enjoyed Cannes over the years. It's, yeah. uh, I'm always happy. You see people excited to get there and you see people at the airport only too happy to leave. <laughs> it's just like people shaking their heads. Ship sails away. <laughs> that's right, flagship sails away. Gone, betrayal, <laughs> you know, and all of that. So I felt I felt that I should come back here, and I did. Um, and I don't regret that ever. Uh, 
was I've since then gone back and done films in America and enjoyed a wonderful career. But, yeah. Uh, so it was an, uh, I think it was an extremely important film in that way. Stupid. I last saw Breaker uh, quite recently. It was shown uh, at the Marrakesh International Film Festival oh, wow. in December. They each year um, showcase a country's movie makers, and it was Australia's year. So there were 23 Australians, uh, including Bruce Beresford and uh, and myself, and uh, and and young uh, filmmakers as well. And uh, who else was there? There's uh, Ben Mendelsohn, and so that's when I last saw the movie. I think it's. Um, uh, pretty timeless in its own way. Mm. Um, it's not dated at all. No, I, I'd have to agree. I watched it just the other week and was, uh, you know, I thought at, at the start it, it struck me as a little bit stagey, um, but yeah, I think it very yeah. quickly finds its feet and, uh, and you know, ultimately the themes and, and the scenarios in it feel like there could be well, they feel like they could have been on four corners a couple of weeks ago. In fact, yes. I think they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at the time, it was seen as having a real pertinence. Americans very largely saw it as a reference to my lie. Now, when the rules and customs of war are departed from by one side, one must expect the same sort of behavior from the other. Accordingly, officers of the Carboneers should be, and up until now have been, given the widest possible discretion in their treatment of the enemy. Now, I don't ask for proclamations condoning distasteful methods of war. But I do say that we must take for granted that it does happen. Let's not give our officers hazy, vague instructions about what they may and may not do. Let's not reprimand them, on the one hand, for hampering the column with prisoners, and at another time, and another place, haul them up as murderers For obeying orders. It's, it's, it's remarkable the 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 storyline in that you know this is Australia that's just become an independent nation, and yet it is just bending over backwards to do the Brits' bidding. It's it's uh. It's, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, even in my parents' generation, there were people, not my parents, but there were people in my parents' generation who used to refer to Britain as home. Yeah having never been there yeah yeah it, that's uh, and so it's that recent and at the time of the Boer war it was it was motherland stuff I remember all those poor bastards they took in the best of their own horses there's a wonderful poem of Evangel Patterson's the voice of the horses because at the end of the war they wouldn't take the horses home uh and uh, it really 
his horse home. Uh, but they had to leave theirs in South Africa. Right. And uh, the lovely poem, you know, the, the line of the horses saying, now we have carried you bravely. Will you not take us home? <laughs> mm, yeah. Very touching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Brown's character, um, Hancock, you were originally slated to play that role. That is correct. Uh, and John, I think his name in a minute. John Hargraves. Oh, Hargraves, there yeah. you go, thank you, was to play, was to play uh, my role. And uh, Hargraves, uh, well, what happened was, it was one of those things, making a film, it took months for this to get together and then another month for that together and uh, by that time Hargraves uh, had already committed to a television series uh, and so he couldn't do it so uh, there was a sort of a reshop and, and of course Bruce had worked with Brian before If Brian hadn't taken the role would John Hargraves have got the actor award do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know, do we? That's a, that's a real unknown. I know that uh, John Hargrave's mother thought he would have. <laughs> really? Uh, there was a wonderful incident um, well after I came back. And I was with other people having a lunch up at the cross and John Hargrave's and his mother were two tables away. Mm. And I greeted John, we'd worked together before, and hello, hello, hello. And uh, we got on chatting, and they finished their meal ahead of us. And she came up, and she was very cross with me. She said, you took my son's part. <laughs> back to that that idea that you felt uh, a sense of obligation after winning the award you did did the rounds of America and and then coming yeah. back uh, yeah. actors today Australian actors today the first shot of interest from the states they're off <laughs> yes they are yes they are but then they're in a very different position um, we were the first wave of the renaissance of an Australian film industry. Mm. There had been nothing, and we had we'd worked hard to establish something, and it was getting attention for the first time. I mean, when I went to America, when they started talking to me about roles in America, they weren't offering uh, huge money or anything. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was good money, better money than I'd ever. Australia, 
and that was uh, a temptation. But it was like, look, hey, get put your uh, go back to where you belong because you've achieved you you and others, not you alone, but yeah. you and others have achieved now something that you wanted to achieve. Now is the time to press on with it. Mm. an Australian actor, really? Okay. So that when they turn up at the audition, people will think they're Australian. Uh, I think it's hilarious when you, you mentioned Sunday Too Far Away playing in the foreign language section in Georgia because you, you made Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil set in yeah, Georgia, right? Yeah, which yeah. subsequently. Yeah. And I, and I perfected my uh, Geechee accent, which is an accent particular to uh, Savannah yeah. and that area. And is and is um, notably different to uh, an accent that you would have if you came from Atlanta or Macon. Right. And uh, but I had the man I played, Sonny Siler, as a model, and um, I spent a lot of time with Sonny, and he gave me his summing up tapes. 
So I, I spoke with the accent. What I like to do is if it's an accent that I'm working with, I, I like to speak with that accent all the time. Oh, really? So, so, so that I don't, I don't have to think of the accent. Yeah. It, it becomes second nature, and then I can think about the performance instead. Someone comes into my home and they shoot at me. I will shoot back again and again and again until I'm sure that they're dead. Yeah, I perfected that that uh, accent uh, to the extent where uh, nobody recognized me as coming from anywhere other than Savannah. Yeah, right. Uh, except Chablis DeVoe, the uh, gay uh, black guy. And uh, he said to me uh, when we were on the set together, he said, you don't come from here, do you? <laughs> and I was shocked because uh, I didn't want there to be any holes in the fabric. And yeah. I said, uh, um, no, I, I come from uh, Australia and... Uh, but how come you know I ain't from here? And he said, if you was from here, you wouldn't talk to me like this. <laughs> so it was my my lack of prejudicial attitude toward it that uh, was a giveaway. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder... Are you following the state of play with the Australian industry and the you know things, the options paper and all that kind of stuff that's going on at the moment? Talk about quotas and so on. Uh, do you keep abreast of that? I do. Yeah, um, yeah I, we're in a terrible state at the moment, but uh, all filmmakers everywhere in the world are. You can't uh, isolate and. Uh, film there's a crew that's required and then when you do make the film that needs to be in front of an audience preferably in a theater and of course a lot of cinema is made specifically for the big screen yeah uh i right now we would be talking about uh two movies uh the one that was supposed to be released at the gold coast film festival uh, Never Too Late, the one I did with Dennis Waterman and, and Jamie Cromwell and, and Jackie Weaver over in Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, a little domestic comedy. And we will also be talking about... Uh, High Ground. High Ground, yeah. which was to be the opening movie of the Sydney Film Festival and subsequent release. So we're in a very different world right now. American movies that were ready to be released when this hit have gone straight to streaming uh, and at the other end of this there may be a lot more of that I don't know when we're going to be allowed to go back to theatres mm. and uh, we won't be travelling internationally for the next four or five years I imagine yeah yeah well, I, I mean, you're, you're obviously still still a pretty busy performer, but I wonder whether, uh, 
you know, the, the sort of the sense that um, people over 70 are more at risk and so on is actually going to make it, uh, on a personal level, make it more difficult for you to work. Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Mm. I uh, I managed to make two movies on dialysis and now, uh, now it's going to be really more difficult for me to get uh, work. Yeah. But, uh, People might say, at my age, I should be retired, but I enjoy filmmaking so much. It's so much a part of my life that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, ho- I hope you find a way to keep making them, for, for, for sure. So do I, so do I, Carl. It's, uh, it's a great joy to me, and there's still more in the pipeline, and I'm still interested. Yeah. Yeah, what what I what I was uh, trying to uh, get get you to, to um, you know reflect upon was uh, the state of play with Australian film and TV specifically um, around uh, the notion of quotas because there yeah, there is yeah, yeah I know well what they're doing is what they're they're doing at the moment is they're easing those quotas or putting them aside because of the emergency and since we can't uh, make film here then they should be able to uh, use whatever they can and uh, I I fear that they will use that uh, to establish um, yeah that after the, the uh, COVID virus uh, emergency has Continue to use that idea. Mm. It will be. Um... It was, it's been a battle to uh, to make those quotas. You know, I can remember all the battles to make those quotas happen in the first place. Yeah. Because the uh, yeah, well, the, because the, the television uh, channels uh, have a simple criteria, uh, and it's. Uh, how much money did you make this year? Mm. So if you can get all of your material for a whole lot less money and get away with it, you, why would you support the Australian film industry? Yeah. Let them look after it. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's extremely important that we do have those quotas. There's no question about that in my mind, that the support of an Australian film industry has to have such uh, safeguards and it has to have the support of the uh, government and the state governments um, it's not it's not going to uh, be viable otherwise and without it you're not telling your own stories you're being subjected to other people's views of life and you never see your own. And when we first, uh, I've said it so many times before, but when I was a kid, when we played goodies and baddies, we all adopted American accents because those were the people that we saw on the screen. If it was a war movie, we became quite British because (laughs) we saw war movies about Britain on the screen. We didn't see Australians on the screen. And it's a a 
king of the renaissance of an Australian film industry. And at that time, 96 and the box, for the first time, people were watching Australians on the screen and seeing their own world reflected there. And without that, then you diminish the sense of your own worth. And if you diminish the sense of your own worth, then you become subject to other people's whims and fancies. Yeah, so, I know. I think it's important that we maintain those controls. New to the Yabba? New to the Yabba. Like your place? No, I think it's bloody awful. You don't like the Yabba? No. Did you watch the TV uh, remake of Wake and Fright? Absolutely. I think every kind of great movie is a little bit of a case of lightning in a bottle. It's it's like there are so many variables that when it works, it's because things have serendipitously clicked together, you know? Yes. And I th- uh, there's no doubt about that. Mm. Uh, that, that element is there in movies because yeah. there are so many variables and what happens on what day... Oh, you know, it's just—it is lightning in a bottle when it works. It's fantastic. Mm, mm. Um, and Jack, it's been fantastic talking to you. I really appreciate um, you taking the time. Uh, thank my, you so much. My pleasure, Carl.